The Real Estate Show. I'm Brett Van Alstein, and in today's episode, we're joined by Kurt Euler, globally recognized marketer, operator, and speaker. He was at the front lines of creating several of the marketing channels we all use today, including social media management, influencer marketing, and location-based marketing. In recent years, he has focused on helping individual business owners and marketing agencies with a heavy focus on real estate. Today, we discuss how Kurt's early experience as an entrepreneur running his own landscaping business at 14 shaped his business know-how today, his drive to succeed in every endeavor he's involved in, and how real estate professionals today can develop their personal brand and utilize their database of clients. Hey, Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Brett. Yeah. Okay, so for our listeners, uh, Kurt is kind of a big deal. Uh, Kurt is a globally recognized marketer, operator, and speaker. He's built and run businesses from startups to multi-million dollar, even eight-figure companies. He's assembled teams across six continents. He was also at the front lines, creating several of the marketing channels we all use today, including social media management, influencer marketing, and location-based marketing. He has appeared on national television shows and periodicals, including Wired, TechCrunch, Thrive Global, USA Today, Business to Community, WGN Radio, NBC, and ABC. So Kurt, can you give us a quick background, you know, about you, your career, and ultimately, you know, how you got to where you are today? Yeah. um, Yeah. I I mean, I've always kind of been a business person at heart. Uh, Started my first legal entity when I was 14. Um, it's just always one of those things where even in that case, it's like, wow, we're making enough money. Somebody's going to come wanting to pay me to pay taxes on that. Um, yeah, always. <laughs> but uh, I've really come into high growth technology companies. And so you mentioned I've been at the forefront of a lot of marketing technologies, uh, agents and mortgage brokers use on a daily basis. But for the last three years, I've been very three and a half years. I've been very heavy into real estate um, and real estate marketing technology. And so still using some of the channels we've done before, but getting much more into real estate, um, which has been incredible because I didn't know things like, wow, almost every agent in the US is an independent contractor. And so there's been a huge learning curve for me for me to realize like, wow, there's 2 million solo entrepreneurs out there that hold their, hang a shingle somewhere. But mm-hmm. um, how do I adapt things that I've been successful with to actually help them on an individual, individual agent basis or sometimes team basis as well? Sure. Cool. Okay. Um, so, you know, like you had just said, from an early age, you know, you were an entrepreneur and obviously very savvy with technology. Um, you know, you wrote your own code for your own computer games. Um, and then you eventually you took that drive and applied it to a landscaping and contracting business, you know, where you hired out your friends for the work. Um, at that age and for your friend's age, we, you just touched on, you know, independent contractors. Was that something you had to run into as you started that business? Yeah, I mean, I mean, at that age, I mean, when when you're paying people out enough, I mean, you also have to show it, you know, a certain dollar figure where those where the dollar goes. So it's like sure. I probably had you know two dozen friends in high school in North Alabama that were 1099 contractors for me. Um, That's crazy. It's like I could go and sell lawn services and pressure washing day in and day out, but you have to have right. somebody to actually implement that as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> and so they a lot of them got a kind of early early career as well as about what does that look like for them. Okay, cool. Um, so, you know, at that young age and, you know, 
obviously you had moved on from that business, but did you always know that this was going to be your path or was there a point in your life where that light bulb kind of went off and you're like, this is what I am supposed to be doing. Like, this is what I was made for. I'm still not even sure what my path necessarily is today. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot I do respect about Gary Vaynerchuk where he's like, wow, you're in your forties or fifties. It's not too early to start. I mean, uh, right. I'm in my mid forties and it's like, what will I be doing in, you know, in 30 years? I think it'll look very similar to where I'm at now. But right. um, if you went back to when I was 35, I, I did not know actually what I kind of wanted to be when I grew up. I thought I was much more of an operator um, okay. and kind of in what that looked like. And I dabbled at starting uh, technology startups and realized thanks to a mentor of mine, like, gosh, it, it's sexy to kind of be out there and start something, you know, from, from nothing and grow that up. But mm -hmm. what um, it was hard for me. And so he actually counseled me through actually leaving a company I'd started um, and finding somebody to run it because he's like, you're a scaler, Kurt. And so I've been good in so many industries and helping so many people in different business types, because what I'm really good at is helping somebody grow once they have momentum and they have okay. pain points and figuring that out. So I don't know exactly what that'll look like for me, you know, in 10 or 15 years, but I, yeah. I think that's probably the, the closest term I can come to for like, what's Kurt good at? Well, mm -hmm. I tend to do marketing day in day out now, but I'm a scaler. I help people magnify whatever they're at. If you want a 50 X or hundred X kind of your business, that's what I, that's what my skill set is. Okay. So that's where you, that's where you truly thrive. Um, you know, so obviously technology has played a large role in your career and, you know, you had just said that you're now sort of in the last three and a half years, you've been entering the real estate industry. Uh, what are your thoughts, you know, on technology and its applications in real estate? Um, it's I mean, every agent, if you want to be successful, you either have to know technology yourself or have somebody you can outsource some of that to your team, especially from a marketing perspective. But I've also been um, I've been a little dismayed when I came into the industry about how, how much I almost felt like snake oil was out there. of um, sure. Technology that was sold like this is going to solve all my problems or shift to this. When the fact is like I'm with a company right now that, that I mean, our technology is two orders of magnitude better than anyone else's, but it still doesn't work unless you do. Like sure. it'll power a website that, you know, will we'll let you outrank Zillow. But if you just put it on there and pay hundred dollars a month, it's not going to do that by itself. There's work that you need to be done. When you mm -hmm. do that, the success stories that I see from people are incredible. But if you apply that to real estate and social media management or starting to do a TikTok show or things, mm -hmm. like, agents like you need to know technology, but you also still have to go, all right, how do I use this on a day in or at least weekly basis to magnify sure. what I'm good at? Sure. So have you found as far as, you know, obviously you can build out these platforms and all of these tech tools that will help people, but is there a point where, you know, there becomes a little more hands-on education for them to be able to grasp what they're actually doing and actually let them build it from there? Depending on the agent and depending on their skill set. Um, mm -hmm. So it's like, I have a, uh, there's some agents that, um, I mean, they say we'll build their website themselves. They want to do their email campaigns and automations themselves. And that's great. On the other side, I, uh, I have a partner company I work with sometimes called Agent Hub 360. They literally handle everything but like the real estate transaction and even some of the relationships with clients because they're like, you know, like agents don't want to always follow up even with leads. And so right. they realize, but not just setting up the systems, but sometimes some of that follow up and relationship bit. Um, they're like, well, we help with that. And so I think as an agent, the key for me is knowing yourself and saying, mm -hmm. hey, if it, do, I, do I know my business? Do I feel like I have a better connection with my potential clients by learning that technology myself and how much of it do I want to set up? 
Or is that something I need to bring somebody else from the outside? I mean, I have stories of literally hundreds, maybe thousands of agents at this point that have taken technology like what we have at Showcase IDX and others. And Mm -hmm. like, rather than even go to an agency, their 14 year old daughter helps them implement things. And because of that, like (laughs) it kind of keeps it in the family, but, but there for them, they found success because they didn't just pay somebody five grand to build them a, a great website. It was right. part of something they were part of the creation. And therefore, when they build out community pages, when they think about newsletters, it's in their head that much more. So when mm-hmm. they interact with their clients, it works. And so it's not just a, hey, no technology or don't kind of situation. Sure. Well, it's, the, it's that classic old adage of, you know, you could fish and like force somebody and give them the fish or you could, you know, teach them how to fish and you know, help them have that for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And sometimes more is not always better. I mean, like I said, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, we see, I see people, I have a client, he's, he gets 60,000 unique visitors from Google on a monthly basis in a mid-sized U.S. city. He's built wow. out at this point, a thousand plus local community pages, IDX pages on there with information about each one of these neighborhoods and parts of cities and, and suburbs. Well, does that what every agent needs to do? Well, maybe, but I've seen people literally be about as successful from a lead perspective and growing mm-hmm. their agent basis that have, 50 little neighborhood pages because they know it very well. And so, um, you know, and they built it, you know, there's a gentleman in Florida. It's like he built out kind of like these 50 kind of condo beach area pages so that when he meets people in Florida that are on vacation, he goes, oh, Brett, you're down here. Can I just send you this link that I'll tell you where open houses are at if you guys want to look at anything? Like that's part of his business, his relationship sphere of influence that Mm -hmm. he did Somebody taught him how to build the pages. There was an education bit of it, but then he went, how is this going to work for me and my son? They worked as a team and then they made it their their, their own. Yeah. And from my perspective, it's interesting because we've had, you know, a wide variety of guests. They all, you know, have their own expertise. And one of them, his approach to, you know, building his real estate business, he knocked on over 125,000 doors over the course of his career. Wow. And that's just how he did it. He wasn't, yep. you know, he was honest. He was like, I'm not tech savvy. I don't know how to market. I don't know anything like that. It's like, but I'm good with people. And that is like what I committed to. And then obviously we have on the other spectrum, guests like you who are extremely tech savvy and can help real estate agents build out all these tools. But at the end of the day, obviously technology isn't going anywhere. Technology can help more people and not everyone's going to you know, spend the time to go knock on 125,000 doors. That's right. crazy. Well, I love that example because whether, whether you kind of go just a pure digital marketing aspect or in person, one of the things where not just talking for the company I'm at, but MLSs and associations bring me to talk. And right. at the, at the high, at highest level, I abstract things as, look, if you want to be successful as an agent, there's only two things that matter to you. There's two assets that are valuable to you as an agent. Because I mean, it, it's not that it's it, it's overly complicated or overly simple to do a real estate transaction, but once you learn that, what's next? Well, mm-hmm. it's it's your personal brand and it's your database of clients. However you fill those two and keeping in mind that says, hey, according to NAR, the average agent changes brokerages every five years. And it was six years before then. So for like the last nine years, basically every five to six years, the average agent is changing brokerages. That's still staying an agent as well. Okay, so if you're with Keller today, you're likely to be at EXP tomorrow or Remax the next day. Well, if you're relying on the techniques just from that brokerage or a you know Kurt.kw.com, and now I change to EXP or something, well, my personal brand is what connects me with those agents. Whether it's 125,000 doors I've knocked with or 125,000 right. people I've connected with on TikTok or YouTube. 
And the fact right. is I need to drive them to my personal brand and make sure I keep a contact database so that when I, if I choose to change brokerages, that I'm controlling my destiny because it's my, it's technically my business as an agent, not the brokers I'm with. Right, right. When it, I'm glad that you brought that up um, as far as, you know, people changing brokerages every five years, like you had said, from your point of view, and now that you're involved in the industry, have you noticed that more and more brokerages are kind of trying to up their, you know, arsenal of tech tools and, you know, what they can offer their real estate agents to try and keep them in house and not, you know, jump around and move to other brokerages? A lot are. Um, it's usually actually on the smaller side. I mean, there you see, you know, billions of dollars being spent by some of the large brokerages. Right. Um, they're doing that. Um, and the solutions are good. But I think where I feel like there's been a real change has been some of these more boutique places like a Stuart St. James. And I think they're in Massachusetts that says, hey, they wanted to assemble a technology stack that that wasn't just a single solution that said we're going to take the best of breed from different pieces and put that together so that agents, one, they get a base offer, they can choose to upgrade to something that they'll actually use. Um, I mean, there's, you know, almost every brokerage will give you a CRM, but will you use it? They'll give you a website, but will your clients use it? And so Mm -hmm. um, things change on the on the on the big national broker side. Yes. Um, But much more, I feel like there's we've gotten a lot more competitive at the smaller boutique size, much more. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense. You know, those smaller boutique brokerages are often the ones that are kind of almost the um, laggers as far as adapting to, you know, technology and, you know, the new trends that are going on within the industry. So to hear that from your perspective, that's great as far as for them to be able to stay competitive. Yeah. Um, I mean, even at the bigger brokerages, it's like when you look at who's actually growing, are they using tools from that brokerage or mm -hmm. are they using tools that they own? Because, hey, like there's nothing wrong with using a database from from your brokerage if you can still export your contacts. Um, right. But in the end, it's like to me, it's like to protect you as an agent, your your primary brand and your database are your two most valuable assets when you stay in this business. And so you need to have access to those at all times. And so um, there are things where it's like, is it is is it the the CRM that your agency brokerage has given you, or should you use a follow boss yourself? Or mm-hmm. even just dump things through Zapier to a Google Sheet just in case. Yeah. Uh, the answer <laughs> is it depends on you. Like there's no best CRM to me. The best CRM for an agent is the one they actually will use. I've okay. seen I've seen agents that do 80, 80 to 100 transactions a year that their only CRM is a Google Sheet. Like, <laughs> but they use it. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, like success doesn't come from the tool as much as it are you using it as to, to connect with people. Right. Yeah. And of of course, you know, if it's not broke, don't fix it. So for them, they're like, well, I'm doing just fine. Why would I change anything now? Right. After the break, Kurt and I discuss how technology has evolved to easily adapt into society, what real relationships mean for success, and how small companies can use processes to scale their business. Are you or someone you know looking to get started with a career in real estate? The CE Shop's 100% online curriculum lets you learn from the comfort of your home and on your schedule. Enroll in our mobile-friendly courses today and save 25% with promo code SHOPTALK. This episode is brought to you by Chime. Chime's AI-driven platform, custom-built for the real estate industry, helps agents, teams, and brokerages automate and accelerate their business to drive profitable growth. 
The centralized, customizable platform combines IDX websites, lead generation, marketing automation, advanced lead management, and powerful AI to cost-effectively capture qualified leads and turn them into new business. Download a free version of their new ebook, How to Leverage Technology to Recruit Top Agents, through the link in today's episode show notes. This episode is also brought to you by PropStream. We all understand how difficult it is to grow your real estate business and compete in the market. Instead of fighting local competition for the few listings available, it's time to generate your own using a powerful real estate data software. Real estate data is an agent's best friend because it allows you to find the best listing leads in the least amount of time. With so many data providers out there, it's hard to know which ones are worth your time and money. Let me make it easy for you. PropStream is the only software you need. PropStream has hundreds of search filters to help you find homeowners with the most motivation to sell in just minutes. Apply your desired filters, save leads to marketing lists, collect homeowner contact information, and make your pitch all in one convenient platform. PropStream even offers a mobile app to help you work on the go and a free academy to help you learn how to use the software efficiently. Get started today by trying their seven-day free trial. Head over to propstream.com forward slash CE. That's P-R-O-P-S-T-R-E-A-M.com forward slash CE. Find better listing leads, close more deals, and unlock your potential with the power of PropStream. Earlier, you had touched on, uh, you know, people actually using the tech tool to help them. And a lot of the time people, you know, they invest in these tech tools, but they don't always actually use it from a broader scope. um, Technology is obviously continued to play a large role, but not all tech is obviously adopted by society. What are some key factors do you think that make new technology, easily adaptable and ultimately successful? Well, on the agent side, for me, I, I think a big portion is, uh, is it does it work on mobile? Like, you right. know, does a full CRM need to work on your phone? No, but do you need to be able to get a notification when a new lead signs up so that you can call them or email them right away or text them? Yes. Um, so, the, the, but it, so it has to have a, a usable mobile side. But on the consumer side, the bar has changed. I mean, there are websites that have subdomains like search.curtuler.com. Yeah, you have a drop off of 90 to 95% of consumers um, just from changing to a subdomain like that. Um, sure. Or if you take somebody to, to an older website. Well, so it's like, if it doesn't have a modern search fail, I mean, a lot of agents are scared of Zillow, but in the end, consumers are used to a search experience like Zillow. Even if you right. look at all the marketing stats that go Zillow versus Trulia, same company, same parent mm-hmm. company, but but Zillow is so so far ahead from a retention perspective over over their their, their sister company. Um, so does your website is your website something that your clients will actually use? Because if not, like like for me, like it's not just tools that the agent will use. If your clients won't use your website, then the one thing I can guarantee you about your business is a hundred percent of the transactions you will have a competitive agent calling your client. And if you're a new agent, that should scare you to death. Or if you're somebody who's trying to scale your business, because I mean, at least if you're doing 100 transactions a year, then great. You you have a bandwidth to kind of fall back on. But if, right. if you're a newer agent, if you're somebody that's five years in or you've been part time or changing over, well, you're still working your sphere of influence. And so if your aunt ends up going, having to decide between, well, do I use Brett? He's new into real estate. He's been successful somewhere else. 
or this agent just called me because Zillow gave them my info, advertising <laughs> and selling. Well, this agent's closed 100 transactions a year. Maybe I should not use Brett. That's not ever right. a conversation you want to be in as a new agent. And so for me, I think both like home searches, I mean, you're selling a home, that's, that's where it comes down to. That's the first thing. But even on email is like, does this, if you were a consumer who got this, would you care about the information? In it? Does this work on their phone? Those are things from a retention perspective. I think too many agents think about this either checks the box or it looks good to me as an agent rather than right. sending it to 10 clients and go, would you use this or would you go use something else? Like yeah. that's a very humbling thing to do, but that'll change your business. Yeah. When well, real in real estate, especially it's such a people business, it's all about the people at the end of the day, you know, you could have this wide range of different tools that are going to help you. But if you're not in that face-to-face atmosphere, you know, actually connecting with them and building those relationships, you're probably not going to have a very sustainable career. I agree. And well, and to your point about relationships, one of the, uh, the next pieces of advice I tend to give a lot of agents is the best, uh, you know, assuming they have a website that their clients would actually use, mm-hmm. then uh, in a search that they, they expect is like, you, you should go and talk to your clients to some degree, almost like a, fi- a fee-based financial planner, because right. like, hey, like the big portal Zillow, if you look at their, they're public, you can look at, they've earned $2 billion a year and ad- their advertising business. Um, and there's different ways they structure that. Sometimes it's a percentage of the deal versus a, a per lead thing. But in the end, they're selling your client's information. And so when you point out to your clients, they're like, look, I have a financial interest. I have a vested interest in keeping your information, Brett, confidential, as opposed mm-hmm. to a company that's earning $2 billion a year saying, well, Brett's looking for a $400 to $450,000 home in this part of the market. And here's their info. And they, you know, they provide it to a different a variety of service providers, not just agents. Right. Tell an agent uh, consumer that, and like my wife has said, I can't bring that up at like dinner parties or at church or anything. Because she's like, because <laughs> people go, honey, honey, you didn't use our real email address, did you? Um, right. And I'm like, but but that's the point of a relationship. Like the agent, in some cases they are fiduciaries in some states, but like that's the relationship. My job, mm-hmm. I only get paid if I help you out. That's right. a very different kind of relationship. I mean, heck, my agent sold me this house. Four years ago, five years ago at this point, I can, I've sent him some just random text messages about like, Hey, I'm thinking about investing in, you know, insert remodel, you know, remodeling project. Mm-hmm. And he follows up. Does he get paid for that? No, but it's the relationship he's bringing back to me. And it's like, I literally hired somebody that just moved here from Hawaii. Guess who I referred the same agent that's been not just great transaction, but has helped me out since then. Right. Right. And that's such a crucial point is, you know, once that sale is done, your job's not really over. Right. You have to be able to connect with them over time, especially if they're coming to you for advice like that, because that means that they trust you. Yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that you had brought that up as far as, you know, creating and maintaining relationships. So creating relationships is obviously important to you. Um, it has been throughout your career. Um, but was this a philosophy, you know, that you always practice or was, that the, was this something that you kind of learned over time? Much more learned over time uh, okay. and, and less from the business perspective, although um, I've adopted what, what now I would pro- I would title as high achieving servant leadership um, okay. and trying to both lead clients that way, lead people on my team that way. But um, I mean, as early as that first landscaping business up through a company we took from 85 million a year in revenue to 1.44 billion, I led by authority then thinking yeah. that I was the smartest person in the world. And I kind of led them from an approach that said, if, if one person on the team cried, it was them. 
if, if the whole team cried, it was me. And it mean, I just dialed it up to 11 when I need to dial them back to like a nine or a 10, just I maxed out a little bit too much. And um, I got to see at that time, uh, thanks to a mentor, the wake of destruction. What I thought at first I had just attributed it just in the people's personal lives. And much more mm-hmm. what I realized, he, he kind of brought me around to, um, do you realize what has happened to your business when these people's personal lives go chaotic? And so I was like, whoa, so that's not what the legacy I would want from a personal perspective, from a faith perspective, and even from a businesses. And so since then, um, I'd say my companies have ended up being much more successful overall um, because I'm not just looking for people that are coming to work for a a given six weeks or six months or even a couple of years. I'm looking at people to go to war with us because, I mean, whether you're an agent trying to go from 50 transactions to 150 a year or you're trying to grow a software company like I've helped do, like you need people on your team that like when things get bad or things there's put trigger periods to lead to an inflection of growth. You need people that you don't even have to ask them to work more hours because they're like, let's get this done. Right. They were, they're willing to go to bat for you. Yep. Yeah. So um, changing gears a little bit, but focusing on, you know, scalability to you when a company approaches you to, you know, asking for your consultation as far as, you know, how do we scale? Or let's say that it's an individual, like a small boutique brokerage that's asking, you know, how do we scale this? When you're looking at, like, what are some of the factors that you're looking at within the company? Is it more about the numbers? Is it more about, um, you know, external factors? What in your mind is important for individuals or companies that are trying to scale? Uh, if it's if it's a company, they usually need to have. I mean, it's, it doesn't really have to be a specific revenue figure, but it's usually five to ten million a year in revenue. It's a place okay. where I feel like they found product market fit enough. They're not trying to figure out what their service or product is, because um, right. then we can start to look for things from an uh, from an agent perspective um, or you know solo entrepreneur. Uh, it, it's usually something much more similar to that. Do they have have they found enough of a repeat success? That, um, you know, in many cases, they're humble enough to realize, I don't know what it would take to 10x my business. I'm mm-hmm. trying and I'm lucky if I can grow at a couple percent a year. Um, mm-hmm. That humbleness of heart's a really big deal for me. Um, okay. And especially like on the, on the real estate side, it, this ha- it has to be a full-time gig for them. There's not, I mean, I have a lot of free information out there that will help, you know, part-time agents. But um, it needs to be something where this is this is your bread and butter. This is what you do for your household. And in that case... I often won't work with agents one-on-one. I'll work with teams, but Mm -hmm. I I find me there's a huge benefit from discipling like eight to 12 people at a time, Um, usually not in the same market, but because the, usually if I was talking to you about a pain point we found in your, uh, your personal business, Brett, as an agent, um, it applies to probably half the other people. And it's not nearly as emotional to them when I'm talking about your pro- the problem that you have, it helps right. them much more and vice versa when I'm find- finding something in, in their business as well. Okay. So kind of uh, piggybacking, piggybacking, sorry, off of that, um, what would be some examples, you know, for the newer agents that are listening to the podcast, what would be some examples of, you know, pain points that you would look for? Uh, for me, there's, uh, you know, do you have a process? Do you have a process that you're confident of that if you put people into, if I put 50 contacts in the top, that I'm going to get X number of closed deals out. Um, And so like, if that's a big pain point, because you'll identify other things in there. And that could be, um, I mean, and it it will look somewhat different, but largely technology-wise shouldn't with the CRM is whether I'm door knocking or whether I'm doing Facebook or YouTube ads, 
or whether or not I'm looking for, for organic traffic. Um, I want to know that. And so, um, I, first of all, I want to know, do they have that? And if they don't, that's a huge pain point. But from there, I want to know what, what they think their biggest pain point is within there. From what I've seen, the biggest uh, loss of revenue opportunity almost always is clients are going to Zillow for the home search versus something that you control and protect their info. Um, okay. Just because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a hole that just sucks out uh, sidewise from the funnel. You can dump in a thousand leads up top, but if 90 to 95% are going out the side, you never have the chance to drop them down to a closed deal. Um, sure. But often it's, it's just pure metrics like that. Um, okay. And all the pieces between that. Um, and then from there, we get into discussions like, what does that actually look like for you? And if you're a new agent, you may not even know that. So then in that case, I want to go like, how would you how would you generate traffic? Like you need to start, you need 100 new relationships of some way, 100 new names of people talk to this month. How are you going to do that? Mm -hmm. And do they have a plan? A lot of times new agents don't. They may or may not send out an email even to people. Um, that's a big deal. Um, yeah. We had a programmer at our company in Indiana who realized he really liked working with people. And so now he's a, a couple of years later, he's a very successful agent in uh, Indianapolis. But the first year, like I'm talking to him and I'm like, he, he hadn't even sent out like an email to like his like 200 closest contacts to let him know, hey, this is what I'm now doing. Well, why would like, who's going to come to you then? Right. Um, and so I think that that from a pain point from a new agent, it is just literally going hey, I need buckets of new potential clients. How do I let them know I'm an agent and why they should work with me? And by all means, so what if you haven't done a bunch of real estate transactions? I almost guarantee you think you're going to be successful because you've been successful in something else. So you, we can help them draw that story. Sure, sure. Yeah, and a lot of that does come as far as, especially for new agents that can't add to their credibility by saying, oh, I've done X transactions that personal brand and their personal story is what's going to help people connect with them and ultimately trust them to, you know, facilitate this transaction that for many people is a major life event. Yeah. And it's the transaction. And especially, you know, most people have a property they're selling. So I mentioned, you know, this right. friend and former coworker, he was a software engineer. He's good because he has built in a decade plus of experience of following standard operating procedures in an mm -hmm. engineering world, very process oriented. So Who's going to be able to market that property like crazy? Somebody who knows, hey, I have a new listing and here's the 27 things that I need to do to get the word out about this new listing. That's well beyond entering it in an MLS. I mean, yes, right. that's important, but anybody can do that. You can pay sure. somebody, you know, some places, you know, $200 just to get your property listed and for sale by owner. Mm -hmm. No, you need yeah. somebody that sells it. That's the story I would tell. Uh, much different than the story for a, a school teacher who moved over to real estate. Right, right, right. Um, so I'm glad that you, you throughout the podcast so far, you've mentioned sphere of influence often. And that is something that our team talks about a lot as far as helping agents um, become more successful and grow ultimately is to, you know, grow that sphere of influence for you, um, whether in real estate or in your uh, previous experience in your career, what was you know, what was so, what was important to you when it, when it came to, you know, ultimately networking and growing your sphere of influence? So was it more on, you had mentioned emailing and, um, you know, those other channels, but what to you ultimately found, um, helped you find success? Uh, that's good. That's a great question. 
I'd say there's two things. One's mm-hmm. tactical and one's much more ethereal. The ethereal <laughs> is um, uh, being a man, being a man of integrity in my word. So um, yep. telling somebody, uh, you know, and, and being that whether you're a man or a woman of, I tell you, I'm going to follow up. I tell you, I'm going to introduce you to somebody and actually doing that. And so, right. um, you know, I had to figure out what did that look like for me? Because I, I want, may want to introduce you to the three people we talked about. I had to mm-hmm. figure out systems that worked for me to make sure I would follow up to actually do what I wanted to do. Um, right. And because without that, you're not going to view me as somebody of integrity. So why should you work with me? And you're certainly not going to trust my trust me from an influence perspective. The second thing was realizing that I needed to have um, whether I'm an agent or myself, what I do myself, um, I needed to control, uh, like I need to have a hub, a digital hub, everything goes to. And so Facebook could change your algorithms tomorrow, Instagram, TikTok and anything. And so, great. I mean, we've heard this for the last five years. Yeah, not great. I built this huge audience on Facebook and I have to pay ads to go and talk to them. Mm-hmm. Well, you have to pay for an email program for that. So like even now, like people can find me on Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, but if, if you want to make sure you always know what's going on, you come to my personal website because I control that. And then I may right. ask for a phone number or an email address that allows me to come back and connect with you. And so I, whether or not somebody wants to be, you know, build their influence on any, insert the name of the social media channel or email or, you know, there's pure SMS t- uh, technologies as well. I think mm-hmm. having a website that you own that's your personal brand, whether that's KurtEuler.com or, you know, insert a brand name if that fits better with your business, that okay. that's what you need to have because it's the, that allows you to be successful wherever your influence is. Maybe, maybe you do almost nothing online on social, but you are very active in your church or synagogue or local food bank. And so when somebody finds out you're an agent, well, how do they, how do they connect to you? We'll right. do that then. Okay. Okay. So when you're ultimately facilitating, you're having those conversations, you know, like you had just said with someone in your community and you want to point them to your website, um, would you recommend, you know, having a business card? Is it as simple as that as far as pointing them to your website or is it just kind of repeating, I have a website, I have a website, I have a website, here's where you go. It depends on the question. And so for me, if I, as an agent, where I see the most success is people build out a local area community page, area-based community pages, ABC pages. And so I live in Roswell, Georgia. And so that could be by property type, town owns, condos, single family homes in Roswell, Georgia, or that could be based on areas of the city. I live in Mm. a neighborhood called Bristol Oaks. So if you were looking here and, you know, we meet up, we meet at a community event and you say you're looking for things and we're like, oh, great. You should look at Bristol Oaks. Well, my ideal thing then is I'll actually take out my phone and go, I have a, I have an area page that's written about that. And for an agent perspective, like it literally, all it has on there is of course, IDX listings, but it's going to have two to 500 words of what you probably would have told me, uh, told me if you were the agent in person about that area and just says, Hey, let me just forge you this. It'll tell you a lot about Bristol Oaks or the beach, you know, for open houses, if you're on on Florida somewhere. And let me just email that to you. Well, now I've sent you something valuable. And so hopefully you're going to sign up just my website from that. That's a much better follow-up than just telling you my website. The other thing then that I've seen successful agents do is they then say, sit down every Sunday and they'll look back after those interactions in person and they'll go, all right, who signed up? And they'll match it up with with who signed up on the website and they go, Brett didn't sign up. And so then they'll manually reach back out to you that way because I captured your email, but without asking for it. The business card leaves it in your hands. Um, When I ask you for your email address, well, now it feels selly 
when I say, can I send you this thing that's exactly what you're looking for? Or, oh, you know, I, you have kids in this age. I have a blog post that'd be interesting. Can I just send that to you? Mm-hmm. Now I control everything here and I'm not a salesperson. I'm help, helping. Yeah, it's a little less intrusive. And it's Very also, much. you're almost taking that, you know, the classic elevator pitch and putting it through that link and letting them take the time to do that instead of, you know, taking that time from them yeah. wherever you are. Yeah. And if you don't have that content, you're a newer agent, then that's a great place for you to take a note and go, gosh, I talked to Brett about this. And what would have been helpful if I if I had a community page based on this, it's easy to build mm-hmm. with an IDX and some local content on there. Or gosh, he was looking for uh, summer events in Roswell, Georgia. I could knock that out. And then right. you just take that note. And then you have the system that says, now I need to set aside a few minutes to actually do that. And it can be as simple as writing it out yourself or I mean, I'm big on processes. And so it's like, and from an education perspective, I love self, you know, self-guided uh, classes and education online. I also realize for agents, there's a lot easier for a lot of them to talk than it is to write. So you can right. find virtual assistants where I'll pull out the voice notes on my iPhone and I would talk about Bristol Oaks, the neighborhood for five minutes about why you should live here. Mm-hmm. And I can send that voice note to my virtual admin and for 10 bucks, they'll write it out into a little blog post for me that then that solved what I needed without me getting in the way of it. Right, right. When it's certainly faster and, you know, for some agents, they might not be confident in writing those kind of blog posts. So if you send it off to someone who's a professional at it, that that gives you that confidence that that page is going to be, you know, credible. Yeah. I also, for me, um, it's also a great way is like if somebody has kids in their teens or even mm-hmm. college, like it's a great way to start to involve them into that as well. Show, start to show them what does business look like? What pays for the lights and things here? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, 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 and does help them from an education perspective as well. So. Sure. A little more real life experience. Very much. Yeah. Um, so what ultimately, you know, we've talked about, you know, tech tools, talked about how they can help in real estate. You've given your, you know, your tips and tricks um, on that, but we haven't yet discussed, you know, why you ultimately wanted to get into real estate and what that looked like. Um, So three and a half years ago, or even I guess before that, were you thinking, gosh, this is, this is an industry I want to get into. This is a space that I'd like to enter, or was it a little more impulsive? It was much more impulsive and um, serendipitous. So I had a fraternity okay. brother that reached out. He had sold another prop tech company and um, I had taken 18 months off. And mm-hmm. so um, he literally reached out and said, hey, I've sold this other company. Um, it sounds like, you know, your wife was okay with you taking 18 months off. That seems like a hard discussion. <laughs> uh, can we grab coffee to talk about that? I might want to have that same conversation. And then he told me about another company he had started like 15 plus years beforehand that when I looked at it, they were much smaller than the typical company I would work with, but their technology said it was it's easily two orders of magnitude better than anything else that's out there. And sure. so um, I met with them and the uh, the CEO is just a personality that I, I love working with and um, and so we hit it off right away. And so I kind of got, I kind of jumped into it before I, before I thought about it, that was actually probably about <laughs> a, maybe even only six days, uh, fully in that conversation. Um, yeah. but I, I mean, I, I knew once I got here, it was like, this is great. Especially as like, I literally sent out an email. It's like 400 people saying I joined this company and I was in real estate. Now I had invested in some real estate tech companies, but I wasn't in the industry. And I literally started getting introductions to associations, uh, agent associations to come and talk to them saying, hey, we don't want you to pitch a company, but you've been so successful marketing in other marketing industries. Can you come kind of talk to our agents about what does modern marketing look like? And mm-hmm. when I talked to those, I mean, 
thousands and thousands of agents just in the first six months, not related to the company. I heard what they were talking about and where they struggled. I'm like, wow, I can really help you with some of these things that that are really relatively easy. But I think there's either just so much bad tooling out there for people or agents don't realize it doesn't have to be that complicated. As I mentioned earlier, it's like, it's your brand and your contact database. Everything Mm -hmm. else just needs to feed those two things. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. Sure. Can you expand just a little bit on the, you know, the actual real estate company that you're working with now? Yeah. So I work with a company named Showcase IDX. And so we provide that Zillow-like home search. Um, Better than that, we're the only home search that consumers choose over any of the big portals. Um, But it powers, um, it literally, we don't build websites for agents. We're just a home search that uh, powers their websites. And so they'll use WordPress and us. And um, I mentioned some of the success stories that we have. We support thousands of agents across more than 100 plus brokers and teams across the US and Canada. Um, and so some cases, the agents build the websites themselves using us. Some cases I mentioned like a 14 year old daughter, or uh, we have a lot of marketing partners that will uh, help build them with their website or other parts of their marketing. Because a lot of agents, it's not just a website they're needing. They may, they're often saying, that's maybe something I'm revamping today, but I also need some social media help, or I also need some help with content or somebody to take my voice notes and write that out. Sure. And I'm assuming, you know, you said earlier that you're in Georgia, but I'm assuming this company helps agents nationwide, right? Agents nationwide across the U.S. and Canada. So um, we don't have quite every MLS covered, but we have all the big ones and Mm -hmm. um, we keep expanding. And uh, our teams, I mean, just shows how fast our team is growing. I think our team has grown, gosh, I don't even know, 15x in the last year. So. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean as far as scaling is, uh, to that, um, like to that number, um, from your pursuit, when you first got in there, was there, was that like your initial idea right away or did, um, you know, your friend that you, that had asked you to come on say, Hey, we need help scaling this at some point, or was this something you had come forward to them with? He thought he, he literally introduced me just so I could have a casual conversation, maybe offer a couple of tips. And, yeah. um, I'm not sure if he intentionally kind of downplayed how much better they were technology wise. But sure. when I met, when I uh, met the CEO, Scott Lockhart, and he told me about what their pain points were. And mm-hmm. I'm like, the pain points you have are not product, which most companies tend to have, um, or sure. finding, you know, finding something that's valuable to agents. And I'm like, you literally just have a problem of talking to more agents. And I'm like, well, <laughs> we can deal with that. I mean, just, just for my personal speaking gigs, I, I mm-hmm. built up a, uh, agent database of 90,000 uh, agents on my personal database within the first year. Um, and so I'm like, we, we can help you with that part of it. And then from there, it was also, just, it's it's continuing to be things that um, we always look for, you know, pain points ourselves. And so I mm-hmm. put a woman in charge of customer success that had been just doing support tickets before, um, but she has a heart for this and she's figuring out like, well, we'll make you the leader that, that I think you're capable of being if you want to do that. And not everybody always wants those roles, so. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You want to, you know, everyone says they want more on their plate, but not everyone um, when they have that plateful is, you know, hungry enough to take that on. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I had not intended to become, come into real estate, um, but I, because I've done so many other things, uh, I I help technology companies, growth companies at scale, but I've also done things like, you know, I've, I've literally, uh, you know, led events with the president of the United States um, around made America businesses and companies here, as weird as that sounds to say, um, But at that point, it's like, to me, agents are the purest form of kind of entrepreneurship because they are individual, you know, businesses themselves, owner operators. And so, Mm. you know, the man or woman who's come into real estate, whether they're six months into this as a part-time agent or they're 20 years into it, 
Like very few agents do I find are they're just good with their business. They're usually trying to figure something out and um, technology comes in and changes that. A big portal comes in and changes how leads are done. Um, you know, companies come in and say, well, we'll give somebody back a rebate on, uh, you know, on the agent commission. They have to know how to deal with that. And I'm like, well, that's it's happening so much faster in real estate than we see in other businesses. I just I know I, I love helping agents. That's awesome. That's great. Um, so going beyond your career, going beyond you know real estate and technology, you are clearly a go getter when it comes to life. Uh, you've been a three sport college athlete, I think, a yep. stuntman, certified alligator handler, which is crazy. Um, member of both the high angle and scuba rescue teams with the rescue squad. What drove you to, you know, pursue these high adrenaline, um, I guess, not hobbies, but they're more of lines of work. And like, where did you find to, where did you find the time to accomplish all of this? This is crazy. The time actually happened on a lot. I don't know if it's from, uh, from DNA or from, uh, from, from being nurtured. My dad <laughs> only was one of those rare people who literally slept like an hour and a half a day um, until his second bout with cancer, at which point he started sleeping much more like a normal person. And so I, I remember being woken up at like six and seven years old at 3 a.m. where dad's like, hey, I got a field trip. Let's go. And yeah. so, um, <laughs> you know, I, I haven't slept a lot in my life. And so even without caffeine, like this is me and right. one cup of coffee. I mean, this is water in my cup I'm drinking right now. So um, there, so you have a few more hours when you only sleep a few hours a night. But yeah, um, other than that, being, you know, being bored and curious. So uh, earlier in my life, I did get in a lot of trouble. And so um, with, with my, uh, my boredom. And uh, so instead, I've tried putting that much more to productive use. So That's pretty smart. And I think like there's a lot of you know, people in their youth that have that same problems. They have so much energy. It ultimately leads to boredom, which ultimately leads to you know, not doing always the right thing. Um, but you obviously channel that energy into doing something that's really productive and ultimately shaped who you are today, which is great. Uh, but I don't know if everyone, I do, some people certainly struggle with that. Um, but one thing that I do think helps, you know, when you meet this sort of boredom and you have such a high energy personality is a daily routine. Yeah. Can you walk us through what your daily routine looks like? Um, whether, you know, it's changed over time. I'm sure it has since you've gotten married and you've had children and whatnot. Um, what does that look like for you? Uh, it starts early. So I'm up by uh, no later than 4.30 every morning. Um, I'm at the gym by no later than 5.30. Uh, I really wish they would have a 4.30 or 5 a.m. workout. Um, right. So I'm a member of Iron Tribe Fitness. And so you'll find me there um, doing CrossFit-like workout on a daily basis. Um, and so I start with that. I come home. I, you know, I try to take my son in the morning, give my wife a little bit of time. We have a, a th almost three-month-old in the house. And so wow. she's up and had a little bit longer nights. And so I try yeah. to keep our two-and-a-half-year-old <laughs> during the day, uh, morning. Um but then I, you know, I, I know what my rhythm is. I'm much more creative in the morning. And so I do a lot of writing. I do a lot more creative and leadership stuff with my teams. I tend to do that, that work in the morning because that works for me. And mm -hmm. I keep more shallow work, responding to emails and meetings and things in the afternoons. Um, and then I literally get into things a lot. I, um, I, I kind of self-coach a lot because I literally just stepped out of a one-on-one -on -one meeting with somebody on my team. And I was having to uh, guide her through like, some of these things keep getting pushed off. You just need to put time, three hours in your calendar. And even if it gets moved, block it out and work through it, knowing you're not doing other things. It's priorities. Well, that applies to me very much, you know, going on right now. It doesn't always, but it's yeah. like, as I'm telling her, I'm like, 
yep, that's applying to where I'm at right now. I need to do the same thing. So I have a stack of note cards here, things I jotted down afterwards that are going to go on my calendar for either me to do or my ops manager to help me with. Okay. Okay. Well, and it's certainly, you know, it seems like you are um, constantly pursuing knowledge. You are always wanting to learn more. You even said earlier that you don't even know what your real path is at now at your age. Um, are there any sort of books that you have read over you know, the last couple of years or anything that has really stuck out to you that's um, been pivotal in your career as far as your perspective on things? Yeah, there's a book uh, you have to get on Amazon. You might find it on Barnes and Noble. It's not going to be as wide as like a Gary Vee book or something, but call, it's yeah. called um, Profit First. So right. basically money, profit, profit first. Um, I, I think every agent uh, would, would very much benefit from it. It's meant for the entrepreneur who's starting a consulting business, something that's like, how do you, how do you get Dave Ramsey kind of wealth, you know, wealth where you don't have to worry about it and everything's paid off? Well, sure. you don't grow your business like everybody else. And so it's a mentality shift um, mm-hmm. is, is the book. And so, hey, should you invest in your business? Absolutely. Should you invest in your marketing if you're an agent? Absolutely. But the mentality of that book from a profit first perspective, I think it's, you know, somebody should get the audio book and listen to it twice. Like okay. you can listen to it once um, at normal speed and then listen to it the second time on like a two X or something just to go through it faster <laughs> to reinforce a little bit of the things. But um, it'll change people's mentality about, um, you know, hey, I'm, I, I'm going to do this because otherwise what a lot of agents do is, hey, I closed 10 more transactions this quarter. Well, they find a way to spend that money so that they're not any better off at the end of the quarter than they were before. Right. Well, that that's not going to help you long term for your business. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that you had just touched on that. Um, what is, you know, one key factor you think that, and it doesn't have to be real estate related, it could just be career related. What is one thing that you think is important to having, you know, a sustainable career and actually, you know, getting success and accruing success year over year over year? A mindset of constant imp- uh, improvement. Um, okay. I mean, there are things by all means that I, I, I think it's important to have when you can, you know, have major increases in your knowledge or your efficiency. But like mm-hmm. somebody can search for my name, Kurt Euler Mindset, and you'll find, you know, this keynote that I tend to give, I, I adapt it for different industries, but looking at how you can improve things, short-term things and longer-term things and why each of those are important to become better. So, I mean, if I just do small 1% improvements week over week right now, and I make sure they're refined and their habits to stick, well, mm-hmm. the end of this year would look entirely different, personal-wise, faith-wise, money-wise, than it mm-hmm. did at the beginning of this year. And so, by all means, there are things that you can do to that may grow your business by 50%. And think about those. But usually, you're not going to get that done in a day or an hour. But there are shorter-term right. things that can be done. Some cases are habits. In some cases, are just small improvements that will have such an impact over time. And most people discount them because they feel small. And that mm-hmm. mindset shift is what gets you to efficiency over time. Yeah, it's that 1% better everyday mentality. Yeah. You know, if you apply that for a year, that's you know, theoretically 365% better than when you enter the new year. Yeah, well, and, and that, and a lot of times to do that, you do need a mentor behind you, whether it's mm-hmm. work or faith or, or personal life. And so for me, like that's finding somebody that's at least two seasons ahead of where I'm at and has mm-hmm. been successful in whatever I'm asking for mentorship in for at least that long. Like, Hey, I'm 45. I'm 10 years into a marriage. Does it make sense for me to go find somebody that's just 15 or 20 years into their marriage? No, like, no, like I had a mentor 
who was 35, 40 years into their marriage and had a lot of good and bad things in there. It's like, I kind of, I had a, uh, I had a mentor. He was doing some more uh, life-based and faith-based stuff. He commented, Hey, you don't know if you're a good parent until your kids are 45 or 50. And uh, somebody was like, what? Cause they were asking like a college question. Like I'm done. And he was right. like, my son's like 42 or 43. And I'm just now starting to think that we might've been an okay parent. And, it's like, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Like if you went to ask somebody like that, their kids were just in a college, you'd get a completely different answer. And so sure. I, it's the same thing for me, whether I'm, I'm wanting, you know, I'm changing my mind shift. I don't want somebody's success. That's a one-time success person, or they have a couple more years on me. Like it's right. too easy for them to unintentionally give me bad advice. Right, right. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, I think that that's one question that's asked often is, you know, how do I find a mentor? Or, you know, how do I know that I'm, you know, in a bad relationship with a mentor, something along those lines for you? How did you find, you know, your mentors? Or did was it something that they kind of approached you? Um, how did that ultimately, what was that process like? Um, I I've done both. I, one approached me and we kind of stumbled into a relationship by the point, okay. uh, we'd been getting together for, I don't know, at least once a month for about nine months, at which point I asked him, Hey, Don, would you, would you consider being my mentor? And he was kind of flabbergasted. Like, what did you think this had been? Um, <laughs> it was very awkward for both of us at that point. Um, right. but I, I really believe that people that approached me, like it should be an intentional decision. Uh, sure. and, and you should go and you should find somebody that, you know, like I said that, that's two, two seasons ahead from a success perspective. And you should maybe not ask them. You should say, I'm looking for a mentor to help me in this. And, mm-hmm. and, and I, you know, somebody who's good from a faith perspective, may be different than family, maybe different than work. And so right. sometimes that may be the same person, but, mm-hmm. um, you go and tell them, this is, this is who I'm looking for a mentorship or what I'm looking for mentorship in. How do you, could you, would you meet with me for a few times, Brett? And help me figure out what I should be looking for in a mentor. And a lot of times they may self-identify. They may have a friend and recommend you to somebody. Or you figure that out. Because, I mean, at the beginning of that, I think it is a kind of a dating thing of, hey, they need to figure out, are are you the right person to take guidance from me? And you need to figure out, do I actually want to take guidance from this person? Right, right. So were these individuals that you had met, you know, through your career or, you know, um, at your church or within your community. And then ultimately you kind of thought I should ask them if, you know, if I could, you know, pick their brain and ultimately look for mentorship. Is that in how you identify that? All of those I found mentors at times. So I've had okay. what I'd say four, four people I would, I would really categorize as, as strong mentors throughout my life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of those uh, uh, later one was from a work perspective. Um, he hired me. And um, I had been much more monetarily successful before, but I'd seen a wake of personal relationships and people. And here's a right. gentleman who had, he was a, a three-peat entrepreneur. His family knew him, his kids knew him. Mm-hmm. Um, his wife liked him still, which isn't always the case. <laughs> um, and uh, so part of actually me choosing to go work for him was, hey, I'm, I'm only looking for, like, I don't need to work. I'm only looking for a job where I can get an insight in your personal life. And so he took me into meetings with him with private equity groups and venture capital groups that literally I, I wasn't qualified at that point in my career to necessarily be in those meetings. And so sometimes he told me to be quiet, um, but I was I was there literally kind of as his shadow. And um, I got to see those conversations. I got to hear him call his wife and say, hey, I'm working late. And what does that look like? And then ask him follow up things. Um, mm-hmm. Another one was a faith perspective. And I 
didn't really intend to it. This was somebody who had built a large, actually mentoring organization, trying to teach people discipleship and mentoring. And had right. come to me and asked me for guidance about some bottlenecks that they had. And literally twice he had asked me to come join uh, his personal group. And I said, no. And then I started, <laughs> I met my now wife and I'm like, maybe I need a little bit more of that humbleness. Cause if Reggie's been successful in business and this right. is his retirement is figuring things out and he's coming to me to ask for things that seems like he's humble enough to realize where he has gaps at. At that point, mm -hmm. I no longer give guidance on, uh, grow, on, on growing their organization, and I became a mentee of his until he passed. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to hear about his passing, but it sounds like you guys had a great relationship. Yeah. But I think I think you should. I think people should definitely have that conversation because you want to. Relationships mean something when you define it. I mean, right. whether somebody's personal and it's like, hey, do you want to go hang out? No, you should ask somebody. Do you want to go out on a date? Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't just, you don't just tell somebody, Hey, do you want to come hang out at my company and do some work for me an hour here or two? You go, Hey, Brett, I'd like to offer you a full-time position doing this. Like when you define relationships, it makes them special. Sure. Sure. When it helps both parties understand exactly what, you know, what you're here to do. You're not wasting time, you know, kind of futzing around, catching up. You're there for a purpose. Yeah. And especially on the mentee, uh, mentor side, you, a mentee needs to know what is expected of them. And mm -hmm. so that may look very different if I was mentoring someone than if you were mentoring them. And not that either one's right or wrong. You just need to know what the expectations are because unmet expectations are always missed. And right. um, I need to know what I'm delivering to and I need to know what, what I'm kind of holding you accountable to. Okay, cool. Um, so this is one question we ask every guest, uh, but if there was one thing that you could go back and change either in your life or your career, what would it be and why? Um, it's a toughie, I know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I would, I would have realized early on that I that leading by authority and being an a hole was not the right way to grow companies. I made people millionaires. Some of them still won't talk to me today, um, and wow. others it took me a long time uh, of apologizing and sending them uh, notes to their house to be like, "Hey, I, I'm a different person now. Um, mm -hmm. Can we talk?" Um, not just because maybe I think I would have found uh, work and even personal fulfillment faster. But sure. the wake of kind of devastation for working for me in the first 10 years of uh, that I was in business, man, that's that's a that's a burden I got to bear. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting one. We've not um, you know, had that answer yet, but I'm glad that you had said that. I think that's a great answer. And, you know, ultimately, it does come down to people and your relationship with them. And, you know, you respect someone, you'll get respect back. Yeah. Um, OK, so final question. Um, You've got a lot going on in your life. Obviously, you've got your new venture with your real estate company. Um, is there anything that you want to point our listeners to? You know, if people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do so? Um, you know, is there anything that you want to kind of plug and let people know what you're up to? Uh, well, I mean, they want to connect with me. KurtEuler.com, U-H-L-I-R is uh, the best place to find me. Uh, okay. But I have probably in the next month, maybe two months, I'm betting 30 to 40 articles coming out on high achieving servant leadership. And what okay. does that look like in different spheres for person, individual, for companies? And so um, that's kind of my plug for right now is I'm still okay. figuring this out myself. And so <laughs> some of it is uh, putting out there a lot of this combination of high achieving attitudes with true servant leadership um, to get feedback from people that are out there as well and see how I can improve myself. Awesome. That's perfect. Okay. Well, that's a great uh, note to end it on. 
Kurt, thank you so much for taking the time again to you know talk with me on the podcast. I think our listeners are really going to enjoy this episode. I've learned a lot. I hope they learn a lot. Uh, but yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to us and leave a review on your podcast player of choice. Have ideas of topics you'd like covered? Let us know in the comments below. We always appreciate your feedback. Shop Talk is a production of The CE Shop.